Hey, this is Chris Chinchilla. Welcome to something of a special Chinchilla Squeaks. I'm doing this as kind of a video and audio version of a blog post I wrote as well. I will sort of use the blog post as a little bit of a script, but this obviously gives me a little bit of opportunity to talk in a different way. And on the video version, I'm going to be interlacing some some footage from the event I was at as well, uh, which you obviously won't see on the audio version. Why is it a special one? Why is it different? Well, about a week ago, I got back from IT Arena. That's a conference I've actually been to twice before. This is my third one, but it's in Lviv, Ukraine. And it went ahead as normal. Well, not as normal, but it went ahead. They decided to run it uh, about a month before, so the program was very hastily put together. It was typically in an actual arena on the edges of Lviv. This time it was in two venues, uh, an old power station, now kind of event space, and the opera house. Uh, So smaller, but still relatively busy. Um, They invited a handful of journalists and speakers from overseas. And for us and some others, they met us in Krakow, in Poland, and then drove us through Poland across to the border. Lviv is just on the western side. So, you know, we knew the risks we were going into, but relatively speaking, and I'm saying this unfortunately a week later when the situation has changed somewhat in all of Ukraine, but also in Lviv, which has been pretty uh, safe and unharmed for quite some time until this week as well. And I spoke to some of the people who helped organize the event there and they've had power cuts and all sorts of things. So I do wish them the best in this uh, time when um, it's not the best for them. So it feels a bit weird to look back on this event from a week ago where everyone was more optimistic. But still, I will recount things from that moment in time. I think I would like to kick off by saying that I've been to a lot of tech conferences over the years, almost to the point where I kind of got enough of them because they get quite repetitive, they get quite samey, they get quite similar, you hear the same pitches, the same conversations over and over again. But I still like going, I like to meet people, I like to go to new places, uh, and then you get the occasional kind of rough in the smooth of those things from those events that really stand out to you and that make it worth going to in the first place. Also, of course, after two years of not going to them, I have been having a bit of a comeback. And some of the good things I've remembered and some of the bad things I've remembered, or not the bad things, but the boring things, you know. And obviously getting to events these days is more of an effort as well, and there's a lot more rigmarole with it all. But anyway, but this event was very different. So it's my third IT arena, my third time in Lviv, first time going to an event in what is effectively... Although Lviv, not really at the time, a war zone. Um, The edge of a war zone, granted, in Lviv's case, still felt relatively safe. But there were air raid sirens. There's lots of people in army uniforms. There's um, uh, sandbags and padding around buildings. There's all sorts of things to show that something is happening, but less so there. There's a curfew, but not a very late curfew, etc., etc. Crossing the border... It took some time. It was just a little bit tedious, especially us with European passports. It wasn't a challenge. Um, People keep going backwards and forwards, take your passports, ask you questions. They come back. It's always a bit nervous when you give your passport to somebody. And I noticed when I got mine back, I'd been to Odessa last summer, and they'd very neatly put the stamps right under there, almost like a kind of good to have you back. (laughs) Hopefully. I don't know if that was the way it really meant, but that's the way I interpreted it. 
It's also quite noticeable when you cross between from Poland into Ukraine. The roads go from kind of modern dual carriageways to these very narrow roads. I did actually drive around that area a few years ago, I think about 2017, and the roads had actually improved quite a lot, but they're still narrow. And you do notice the difference with traffic. Like the last time I did see uh, women on horse and cart, ostensibly women, this I did not see so much this time. Um, but to the still quite small roads, you see the, the countryside on either side is quite barren and empty, but it didn't feel as rough as 2017. And this is something that came into my mind many, many times, that to think that the revolution in 2014 was only eight years ago and the country, despite still feeling quite poor, come a long way in a relatively short period of time. And I think this feeds a lot into what's happening now and the resilience that the population finds. They've been here before. They've had to put up with this kind of situation in varying degrees for some time. Um, they are resilient and brave and resourceful. Also along the road, and I had to look up the name for these, and now I've found it, these Czech hedgehogs, these kind of metallic and sometimes wooden, I think, crosses, like like this crosses, um, for anti-tank. <laughs> they haven't been used yet. They're not in Lviv anyway, but um, they suddenly made a lot of them. When we arrived into Lviv, I think the first thing that hit us was it's dark, apart from in the main area a lot of the street lights are turned off i don't know whether to save money or to be less of a target I'm not sure and we got there about 7 30 so it's very very busy post work between then and the curfew at 11 as we discovered because restaurants and bars close at 9 or 10 depending so lots of people are trying to do as much as possible in that time and we found the same thing. You're always sort of racing to find one of those places that's still open or ones that open an hour later so you can have something to eat and drink before having to get inside. Um, and that to say, like the hotel bar, for example, was going all night. It was quite popular, shall we say. Um, as we came back, we saw on uh, Zvobody Avenue, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, uh, a musical duo, a young musical duo, and people dancing. Hopefully you'll see the footage here if you're watching the video version of that. And apparently this happens every night now. People play there until curfew and then everybody goes home. <clears throat> it actually made me remember of something my grandmother told me about when she lived in London during the World War II Blitz. That she said despite bombs going and a lot of damage and a lot of danger, she'd never had so much fun because people would always want to find a way to enjoy themselves, especially in a time like that, as much as possible. And it kind of stuck in my mind, actually, strangely. Day one was a startup competition um, in a venue called Fest Republic, an old power station that is now an event space. It's also the brewery for the infamous uh, Pravda Beer Theatre in Lviv Central. And we walked through the park. It was a misty day. It added to kind of the mystique of uh, going through this park. And there's all these uh, Christian, um, I don't know, things, crosses and other sort of ceremonial uh, objects along the path and the mist added to this um the pitches were all in english it was interesting because as opposed to a lot of the other things throughout the event where it was very different topics and this is something we'll get to soon like um the content of it arena was so different from or this year so different from any other event i've ever been to which was interesting it was a challenge we'll come to that later i'm getting ahead of myself the pitches were a little bit more in the traditional uh, realm of tech conferences, especially pitch events. 
I think the ones that stood out to me were the ones that tried to do something useful to Ukraine's current situation, but have an eye on international expansion. So most of these were healthcare. Um, so helping, uh, there was one in particular that was actually for the the families and, and friends and and uh, of of people suffering from long term conditions. Kind of a way of get them getting support as well, which was interesting. What actually won was something called RAP, which is very different. Um, it's actually a sort of project management platform for film shoots. And having recently done a film shoot that was all organized on Google Sheets, uh, this is basically what they're trying to replace. There wasn't much to look at right now, but still uh, I could actually really see the use case and I'm going to try and keep an eye on them because um, it's something that I could see. I don't know for sure I would need to use it, but I could definitely see people I know in this industry who would use it. Some of the questions people struggled with a bit because, again, they're being asked to pitch in English and you could see that maybe the pitches were rehearsed, but then the questions you don't know, but they were hard questions. Um, I'll put a link in the description or on, definitely in the blog post for all the semi-finalists if you want to, to have a look at them and see what else um, there was. After this, we moved to the Opera House in Lviv. Very old, classic opera house. I love the, the, the dichotomy, the contrast between the young staff and volunteers and then the kind of traditional staff of the opera house who looked a little bit confused, especially by us. And we had a lot of fractured conversations where we didn't really understand each other. And somehow we ended up in like this private box right next to the stage. I'm not sure if that was intentional or they just shoved us there to get us out of the way. <laughs> I don't know, but it was a strange experience there. There was an initial discussion between um, some uh, business people, an ex-Marine, an ex-actor, both of those turned philanthropist, the uh, CEO, I think, of Bakhtar, a uh, Turkish uh, UAV drone company who, uh, I think, sold plus donated some of these uh, drones that have been very useful to Ukraine. Uh, and that was a – so this whole conversation was around kind of how – Philanthropic funds, how the people can help fund what is needed in a in a crisis. Uh, then came a concert from Antitila, I think, a Ukrainian band, apparently like Ukraine's second most popular band. I don't know who the first are. They've also uh, they did a remote performance, I think, with Ed Sheeran. Although maybe it actually was in person. There's a photo of them together, so I'm not sure. Uh, and they used a lot of the footage they had been taking in their time serving on, on, on the, in the conflict zones, in the busier conflict zones, and were projecting it behind them as they played, uh, which was quite interesting. And you could see people were a little bit surprised to see them. They hadn't played for a while, obviously, and you could see people singing along. They were in an opera house. They weren't really sure how uh, wild <laughs> to go, shall we say. Day two. All right, I need to take a bit of a deep breath and prepare myself here there's quite a lot to go through i will kind of sail through and, and maybe read the blog post to get a bit more detail the first talk was around how government society and technology work together especially in a situation like this i guess the take home was um why did it take a situation like this and the covid19 pandemic was also flagged as a time when this had happened and will those learnings be uh, continued after the crisis point. So there was a recurring, a couple of recurring themes. One was that Ukraine is currently um, mostly an outsourcing destination, but fast becoming a startup uh, 
um, source as well. I don't know, founding source. Um, and they kind of want to change this to switch in that favor moving forward. I don't know if that's necessarily a good idea, especially at the moment in the kind of current economic situation, but that's what they're going for. And in all of those instances on the outsourcing and the startup world, uh, the, the ways that uh, companies had to adapt and their clients had to adapt to what was going on. Uh, they rapidly had to relocate staff to safer destinations. Again, a lot of practice here from during the COVID pandemic. Um, and also assure clients and talk to customers that there may be a change in service. And largely everybody was supportive of that. Um, there was also discussions around how some of how they adapted to some of the uh, external contributions, so like Starlink. I know now again talking in this current week, Starlink has been letting them down a little bit, and there's some controversy over that. But also things like um, devices, uh, weapons devices, and other devices coming in from countries where the local population has no real training in using them, and having to learn get that training somehow. Um, and then also, I think there's been this. This sort of came up later in the day, but this this conversation around how um, Ukraine doesn't want charity; they want investment. And how a lot of the people they've been speaking to now have kind of pledged and are even starting to do it investment through building factories and then things like that. So this investment in the future workforce, especially when hopefully that workforce comes back from the war and has skills or needs skills to move into something else. Uh, and this has always been a difficulty with um, soldiers when they return. Uh, what do they do then? Uh, and hopefully I mean they can be rolled into this new economy. And I think this is something that I was thinking about a lot. The IT and the technology sector is always a privileged bubble. And, especially hearing how a lot of employers in that space were very flexible. The staff could be flexible. It's a big industry to Ukraine, but it's not the only industry to Ukraine. And how do some of those other industries feel? How are they coping? Of course, we didn't really hear those stories. I also got the feeling there was a slight little bit. Resentment is a strong word, but it's all I can think of now for how some of those other people may feel about that privilege that the tech sector is getting in this current situation. There are also conversations around how people conduct business right now. Keeping business going is important. The government and the army and the armed forces need things from people and industry, but the industry needs to keep going as well, or there is no money to pay for anything. And how people who can conduct business in this time. And especially what was talked about a lot was this aspect that um, we witnessed ourselves to a certain point um, to go and have a meeting somewhere um, can take around three days of getting there and back because of the extra delays at the border. And men, and most of this applies to men here, are allowed to leave the country for seven days. And this is fine to get to and from Europe, but not to go further afield. And the discussions about whether this should change or not. The next talk was something more of a, a kind of history deep dive, a recent history deep dive, I suppose, insights from the Russian cyber attacks against Ukraine. It was interesting because this is obviously uh, something that was expected. It hasn't had the impact people did expect. 
Some argue this could be that uh, Ukraine is good at defending. It could be that the Ukrainian government is not revealing um, what's been happening in any great detail for various reasons. It could be that we haven't discovered the full impact of Russian cyber attacks yet. But most of the time, it seems to have been small, annoying attacks. And this could be a smokescreen. This could be a smokescreen to hide other things. It could be just adding to that noise so that other activities uh, have to try harder to get through. There's also an argument, that, especially at the beginning of the conflict, this got a lot of attention in the media, especially in the Western media, which causes more panic, etc., etc. And maybe that was the entire point. And that was it. Who knows? And of course, there is an old style strategy. And this has always been something that really interests me when I've read into the history of things like the Enigma and cracking uh, codes in World War II. You know, you don't want the enemy to know what you know, because if they know, you lose an advantage. So there's always this aspect of not revealing everything. They also talked about, in a similar vein, the IT Army, um, which is it's a ragtag, loosely organized group of people who organize via Telegram and other platforms to target Russian businesses and data sources, largely with data leaks, it seems, which have been useful but aren't always. Um, and uh, someone was asked, a sort of representative from the state, what do they think about them? And they gave that very... Uh, very non-committal response that I could could not possibly support nor condone them. Possibly implying that they might have used their services for things, but they couldn't possibly comment. Uh, he likened it actually to the, uh, the Spanish Civil War, and a lot of uh, people signed up, and a lot of people around the world have been doing the same with the IT army. And he wondered if like, it's because Ukraine is identified more as a democracy to these people. Hard to say. Um, I actually looked at uh, somehow signing up for it myself, but I realized I'd probably need to be able to, I'd probably need to be able to speak Russian, which uh, I can't. So <laughs> I don't know how useful I would have been. And then we come to one of the last talks of the day and the one that really got me thinking a lot. There's a lot of discussion, subtext discussion around weapons. And I think as a pacifist, you obviously hear about wars, but until you actually are inside a place that is in war, you don't really realise the cold, hard reality of what war is. And this sounds naive, but I would probably assume that many of you listening and watching would um, feel the same. You, you don't think that really fundamentally it all comes down to destruction and death. That's what you have to do to win. Um, we think that the future of war might be remote operators flying drones in and out, and to a certain case that is happening. But um, there's problems around that. There's some interesting discussions around the, the ethics and the mental health impact of what that might mean if that is the future of war. Someone who becomes so disconnected from the, the fight itself, they don't really realise what they're doing. And this is problematic in itself. But also it seems we're not quite there yet anyway. Um, war still is about inching literally quite a lot of the time in back and forth on territory. And that still seems to be largely done with boots on a ground or machines on a ground or something like that. I think people feel like, um, again, the machines will be supplemental to the humans, not replace them. Um, but still, the UAVs, as they are actually called, um, unarmed aerial vehicles have been very essential in this conflict. And Ukraine has obviously received some as donations and bought some. 
um, but also has been retrofitting. And this is the domain of a lot of the people and projects and, and startups in Ukraine have been retrofitting commercial ones. This has not been um, without controversy from the manufacturers and things like that. But um, it's what they've been doing. Uh, they're very useful for supplemental tasks like demining, for example, things like that. But um, also because they're good for surveillance and you can often, you can jam these things, but the jamming devices themselves are very expensive and uh, an enemy is less likely to deploy those against just a bunch of relatively inexpensive hardware as opposed they save it for the big expensive ones. And so you can kind of create this sort of, I suppose, this... Um, <clears throat> Distraction, maybe this decoy, possibly. Um, Ukraine has been looking into this equivalent of Israel's iron drone dome. Um, this will take a bit of time. Um, this is uh, using these uh, larger UAVs to defend against missiles and things like that. Um, I think the the interesting um, the interesting problem that came up was that UAVs have not been um, spared the supply shortages and if you are reliant on the more expensive high-end ones and they get taken out but you can't replace them because the supply shortages with chips and, and things like that then do you want to take so many risks with them and this is where these more consumer level ones become more valuable so I think a lot of people started talking about will Ukraine be a source of these in the future. There was some discussion that Bakhtar will open a factory there in the near future. Uh, a lot of the operators have been trained by overseas experts. So now we have a lot of skilled UAV operators in Ukraine. So will it be a future industry for them? Who knows? That's something that we will find out, I guess. So to summarise... I've thrown in a few snippets here from my kind of daily diary that gives a little bit more of the, my feelings at the time, which will overlap, of course. There were still people pitching at me, still people asking me for LinkedIn details and things like that in amongst all this deep discussion, which felt weird. It felt very strange to me to have these sort of light conversations in amongst these deep ones. I think I alluded that a little bit earlier with, you know, people still need to have a life. And someone said something, I don't know who said it, but you're thinking about nuclear war at the same time as thinking about sending your kids to school. And this aspect that life must go on. This came up time and time again. Business needs to go on. Economy needs to go on. Life needs to go on. Otherwise, what are you fighting for? This came up a lot. Which begged maybe the only negative to me. It's kind of a big thing, but a small thing, because I don't want to make it seem like I, the event was bad. It wasn't. It was organized in a time of chaos. Uh, the fact they did it at all was incredible. But I was always hearing stories from um, in the audience, but also actually some people who came with us on the bus from Poland, from women. The women of Ukraine are often phenomenal. You know, doing all of this entrepreneurial venture in the in more recent years, whilst also balancing house life and kids and things like that. And many of them at the moment are also living overseas. So in the past six months, they've moved overseas, they've started a new life, which they hope is a temporary life, and they still kept their businesses going and their kids safe, etc., etc. And I would like to have hear, heard more of their stories. There were not very many women on stage at all. And a lot of the women of Ukraine involved in tech have 
amazing stories and I would like to have heard more of those. That's maybe the only thing I'll add. So the slogan for the event was Ukraine 3.0, Brave, Resilient, Digital. And I think, I think IT Arena showed this. And, you know, I will say one more time, I'm making this video in a week, in the weeks after, where things were not as positive. We'll see what happens, of course, in the near future. But I hope that that phrase, I hope Ukraine gets to be a full 3.0, if that's the term we want to use. And I think from seeing the event, then I have, you know, I have all the the faith that it will happen if they are allowed to. And uh, I thank the organisers for having me and organising it. Um, if I've said anything that sounds negative here, I don't mean to. It's just processing a lot of these thoughts. And thank you very much for watching me. Thank you very much for listening to me. Have a read of the blog post too. Have a look at all the links to the people I've mentioned to support them to really get to to know the feelings of people on the ground as opposed to the just the overseas media outlets. And I think I'll be featuring more people who I met whilst I was there over the coming weeks and months. So it was an experience. It was a very new experience for me. I don't know if I'll do it again. Who knows? But it was an amazing experience. And again, thank you to our IT Arena for doing it. And um, thank you to everybody I met. And um, thank you for having me. Hey, this is Chris. Well... Naturally, I remembered my tripod, but not my adapter. I'm having memories here of my IBC trip when I did the same. Anyway, this is the first day of my trip to IT Arena over in Lviv in Ukraine. I have actually been there twice before, but of course this trip is a little different. Hence, I'm in uh, Krakow in Poland first. Previously, I actually just flew straight from Berlin to to Lviv, but that's not possible at the moment. It's a long trip tomorrow. Krakow is a very nice city, one of my favorites, actually. Second time I was here this year. I feel like there's some sort of tech conference going on. I saw some people with tech logos and talking about tech stuff on the plane. Maybe they're coming to IT Arena as well. Not sure. Who knows? We will see. Anyway, um, long trip over the border tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Slightly nervous. Uh, probably going to be hours and hours of Polish countryside, which I've never really seen before as well. So I'll report back tomorrow after that long journey and let you know what happened. Until then, this is uh, Christian Schiller. Talk to you soon. Hey, it's Chris. Sorry, I kind of forgot to report back last night. Um, it was a long day. It was the journey in. Spent a lot of time at the border. It wasn't massively busy, just a lot of hanging around and handing passports and backwards and forwards between the Polish officials and then Ukrainian officials. And then uh, delays due to someone with us. Um, you know, everyone's nationalities has different kind of statuses and things like that. But we got through eventually, took some time, a lot of hanging around in the rain. Or, well, not in the rain, but watching the rain. And then um, we crossed the border. Um, on the way to Lviv. Lviv is very far west, so it didn't take so long. I noticed there's lots of uh, flags and sort of painted things to look like the flag. There's lots of signs to kind of sign up to join the army, that kind of thing. 
a lot of sort of makeshift military outposts, you know, like sandbags and defensive positions in case needed. No one was there. Got into the city. Um, what time was it? Probably around just before 8, about 7.30. Uh, I think the first thing that hit us is it's dark. All the street lights are off. I guess we weren't sure whether to save money or to become less of a target, who knows, or both. But very lively, there is a curfew at 11 p.m. and most restaurants and bars start closing at 9, 9.30, 10. So I guess people get out of work and they're doing things as quickly as they can. So it's very busy despite the darkness, which is quite surreal. We grabbed some food um, in a place that was opened a little bit later, quite quiet again. On our way back to the hotel, witnessed sort of a busking dancing thing with a lot of uh, young people which is good to see good to see that in these in these times people still find ways to keep going and this is something that's always a sort of memory you do hear from from conflict times i suppose so yeah interesting Uh, today is the first day it's the startup competition which is always good to go and see i look forward to seeing that and i'll report back on how all that went later today so take care All right. Um, I don't seem to be able to do these uh, wrap-ups at the end of the day. It's kind of too late. So this is the beginning of day two. And I want to talk a little bit about day one at IT Arena. It was a startup competition in quite a cool place over on the outskirts of Lviv. I think someone said an old power plant, maybe. Um, Now, it's one of these sort of... um, Industrial places turned turn new. The brewery for the beer theatre, which is just in the main square, which I've been to before actually, it was there. A few restaurants, a lot of like meat grilling places, which was a bit wasted on a vegetarian. And uh, I guess event spaces. Um, the startup competition happened in one part of it, which then this was a strange experience. So air raid sirens went off once, maybe twice. And we as the foreigners weren't entirely sure if that was what happened because no one seemed to be reacting. But then apparently the reason that the event happened in this building was the whole building is a bomb shelter. So no one was bothered by it, which was weird because to us, we felt like we should be bothered by it and us other people should be bothered by it. But they weren't because they felt safe there, which is a strange experience. In fact, the whole day was a slightly strange experience in the – I'll come to the evening in a minute, but lots of strange experiences, of course. A startup competition, um, this endless energy you get in Eastern Europe is always on extreme in Ukraine. People are always pitching, even when I was watching the pitches on the stage or on the screen in the kind of uh, hangout room. There's people having meetings endlessly, pitching to people, getting mentors. I saw people – Pitching and having meetings to people on on various VoIP calls the whole day long. You sit there for two minutes and someone comes up to you and wants to tell you about their idea and connect you with with you on LinkedIn. There's this endless energy that is exhilarating but also kind of exhausting when you're a recipient at one end the whole time. Um, But I sort of forgot about that that charm. A lot of pitches were B2B, uh, B2C, um, nothing... (sighs) outstanding i'll come to some of uh, my favorites i think in a bit of a wrap-up later uh, sort of about the, the the people who um who who i met and spoke to um at a later date the kind of more edited wrap-up of that 
Uh, the judges were giving a lot of tough questions, though, actually, uh, which was interesting. And some were very unprepared for those questions, I think. Uh, some were slightly more prepared. There's obviously some challenges with language as well. They're pitching in English. You could see that a lot of people had rehearsed the pitches, but then when it comes to the questions, obviously you can't rehearse the answer to a question. So they struggled a little bit, which is reasonable. A few that were directly solving problems in Ukraine. Um, and this is an interesting discussion I had with someone is that obviously a startup solving a problem just in Ukraine is not going to be a viable startup. Um, but that doesn't stop them solving a problem here first and then expanding it. So a couple in this space were actually around medical related. Um, so this is actually kind of one of those good use cases where you get to solve problems at home and overseas. Then um, we moved on to the old opera in the city for the second part of the evening, which was mostly a panel with a handful of – there was a ex-economics minister was emceeing it. They had the, the, the head of a Turkish weapons company. We'll, we'll come to that in a minute. Uh, and an ex-marine turned philanthropic investor, funder, and a actor – politician turned philanthropic fund investor there seems to be some common threads in ukraine um talking about uh, how tech helps how people can get involved uh, in a society like ukraine with supporting uh, projects and things that are needed at the moment and this is where the the, the turkish military uh, company came in because um there had been a fund to buy one of these drones and then the company gave them three this is actually one of the very strange things of the whole day these sort of casual ish conversations of weapons and needing weapons and getting weapons and using weapons um and how for us as people not directly involved with the war how you feel about that it feels very strange feeling actually because i'm generally a pacifist you you don't really like these conversations about weapons. Generally, you try to avoid them and consider them a bad thing. But then you're in a situation like this where you kind of support a side. And then hearing them talking about these things feels very weird because you don't really know how to feel. <laughs> yeah, it's a very strange feeling. It's not a feeling I've ever had and it's still a feeling I don't really know exactly how to react to. Um, yeah. <laughs> and there was a lot of audience questions as well about a variety of things. And there was a band playing. I will get the name of them up. Sort of pop. Rock. I think we were all hoping it might be the Eurovision entry, but it was um, played a bit, a little bit of networking, went out for dinner, came back. Um, a lot of interesting conversations, I think, between us foreign journalists over dinner about how we felt about these things. And yeah, the whole feeling of the, the city is sort of odd. Um, you know, it's far away from the front lines, of course, but it's strange to. And this is actually something that came up a few times this. And I think this is the whole feeling Iterium is going for, this aspect of um, it is a war. Not everyone has to fight in the war. Other people can do other things to support the country, and that whether that be building up a future economy, whether that be promoting it to people overseas as a place to invest in or telling them that business as usual uh, and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a... I guess that's the, the feeling they're going for. And I don't know if everybody you would speak to on the street would agree with that or not, but that's the sort of feeling there is. Um, and I get it. You know, it's the first time I've ever been to an event in a place that is officially in a, in a conflict. And, well, well, 
maybe that's not technically correct. But yeah, <laughs> in, in this kind of conflict, I think. But yeah, <laughs> so my feelings are still formulating. This is just kind of a daily diary. We'll come back to a roundup later, I think. So that's my roundup of day two for now. <laughs>